my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. Really wonderful to be able to share with you once again. This week we're following the theme, religion and violence. And the question we're asking today, is the God of the Old Testament a violent monster, as so many claim? Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher, and David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. Welcome back, David. Good afternoon, Gary. Good afternoon, listeners. It is wonderful to have you have you with us being able to share again. Gary, I've um, never thought you were so handsome as I'm looking at you today because we won't get to see each other face-to-face for a little bit. That's very true. Actually, I was going to say I'd, I'd, you'd notice my haircut, but that's um, uh, that's obviously not, not the case. I haven't no. noticed your hair, let alone your haircut. But anyway, sorry. We have got COVID back in South Oz again. We do. And, um, yeah, I guess uh, we can empathise with our Victorian um, uh, brothers and sisters, can't we, that uh, we're under... Yes, I, I I have to admit I plead guilty to having a little bit of mirth um, with one or two of my mates in uh, over in Victoria, and uh, I think the mirth is actually being reciprocated right now. What goes around comes around, and I guess it's a, a real wake-up call, isn't it? To it us is. That, it is. Um, yeah. We live in uncertain times. Yeah, tell us, David, how is the church this weekend? Because obviously we're closed down. This is actually going to be our last live broadcast uh, until we're allowed to come back into the studio again. So uh, the next couple of uh, shows are actually going to be um, some some of the best from the past. But uh, do you know, David, what uh, what is the church doing at the present time? How are we dealing with it this weekend? Yeah, look, so Gary, I guess for those listeners outside of South Australia, um, we were told earlier this afternoon via South Australian Health Department that essentially uh, they're entering into the whole of South Australia a six-day lockdown. Um, I guess there's opportunity, and it's not a good way of saying it, that'll go a lot longer than that, but six days, yeah, yeah. no exercise, no one leaving the home except to for emergency type things such as supermarkets, etc. One person once a day. So yeah, I guess these things come in very rapidly, and uh, I guess as an administration, we've been looking and even sharing with our ministers that this could happen, but it's come in a slightly quicker than we had expected, certainly quicker than we'd hoped. Yeah. So your yeah. question was, how are we coping? How are you coping? Yeah, look, it was a busy afternoon. I was in meetings. Uh, my phone was beeping, but I couldn't check it, and I get out and... I start to see the news conferences and press conferences. So, yeah, look, we have um, uh, contacted all our staff uh, right throughout South Australia and via email. We had planned to meet with our ministers tomorrow anyway via Zoom, Mm -hmm. and we will do that. So essentially what it means is that uh, all of our churches, all churches in South Australia and all places of worship will be closed. Uh, And um, that means uh, getting the message out to parishioners, to church members and church Mm. attendees. So it is always messy when you don't have more than a week's notice, face-to-face notice. So, yeah. yeah. But, David, I hear that you're going to be actually preaching from your home 
pulpit. Um, and, and this isn't going to be by Zoom. This is going to be on Living Ministry Media website. This is just going to be a worship service, I understand. Yeah, it'll be a church service only. I was asked this afternoon whether I would and uh, how, how do you say no to these things. So, uh, look, it is an opportunity. So uh, we would really encourage our listeners from all over Australia. Uh, you can watch this live. Um, we believe all the, the links will work and, and also the, the live stream. It will be live stream. It will not be pre-recorded. And it can be watched on www.livingministrymedia.com.au, livingministrymedia.com.au. And if you ask me what I'm going to preach about, I need to uh, spend some time in prayer and then studying the Word of God and putting pen on paper, so to speak. This really stands to be a really fantastic uh, service, actually, because it's not just going to be you preaching. We're also going to have have music. We're going and all from individuals' homes, but not via Zoom, but rather via the uh, internet website, Living Ministry Media. And I think that is really going. This is going to be a uh, the church service that you uh, might see at a big camp or a uh, or a regional program. That's all going to uh, come together. Uh, I think this could be really exciting, Dave. Yeah, I, I hope it will be too. I'm sure it will be. God, uh, God has a message for every moment, doesn't He? And and I think we're living in really um, fluid times, changing times, as we've known all year. And yeah. in fact, this will be in South Australia, Gary. Uh, our churches began to reopen late June. Yeah. After we were shut for uh, almost three months. Yeah. And. Um, this and this is actually the first time no one is actually allowed in our churches to do live streams. Mm. So that's why we'll be doing it from home. Yeah. Uh, so we've gone all these months uh, relative in relative safety and uh, hearing what's happening in other states. But I guess it has come our way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things I, I picked up there is that, you know, this is something that has sort of crept up on us here. But, you know, there's something else that's creeping up on the world. In fact, this was something that was just in the news media just today. It was a smaller article, but one that, to me, screamed loudly at me. It was entitled, The World Could Face a Hunger Pandemic in 2021, uh, this is being put out by the World Food Program. So this is an authentic body. This isn't, uh, you know, somebody in the uh, uh, in the backwaters, but rather a very central central body. Uh, this, the article actually says this: COVID nineteen. This is a report. Um, collapsing economies, drought. Now we're facing a new disaster: famines, and it says of biblical proportions in 2021. That's according to the 2020 recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize, David Beasley, who runs the World Food Program and has added his voice to a growing cacophony of alarms stating that we're on the brink of a hunger pandemic. The world we live in is an immensely complex device. Everything is connected. Everything is balanced, be it global stock markets or supply chains. It's part of an extensive interconnected system, which is why the COVID-19 pandemic and a series of environmental disasters have thrown serious spanners in the works. Australia's Royal Commission into the recent catastrophic bushfires warns of compounding disasters affecting the economy economy, critical infrastructure and essential services. Defence Force Chief Angus Campbell has warned disasters are already more extreme and more common. Now Mr Beasley is using the Nobel Prize to highlight the warning signs to his 20,000 staff are seeing worldwide. Refugee camps, 
are now overflowing. Their occupants having fled their fields. Farmers are leaving their land fallow due to lack of labour, seed and feed. And many of those crops that have been planted are wilting under drought or being washed away by storms. It's getting worse out there and our hardest work is yet to come, uh, he says. Beasley says that world leaders must be alerted to this tragedy that we are facing. Crises that really are going to be extraordinarily complex over the next, who knows, 12 to 18 months. And that's just one of the known unknowns the world faces in 2021. You know, as I read this, I mean, this was something that I certainly used to listen to to, to evangelists talk about, you know, prophetic material that sort of said things like this and uh, uh, we sort of stood in awe at what the scriptures were actually saying. But David, I mean, would you, I mean, what would be your thought on, on, this, on, on this article? I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we're living in, in, in these sort of perilous, uncertain times. I mean, all we have to do is look at what Jesus said in Matthew 24, don't we, where he said mm. in uh, verse 11, he said, um, verse 8, sorry, verse 7, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. Uh, obviously, too, Gary, um, you've got Daniel chapter 12 there that you'd like to look at. Yeah. So we are living in times where we are seeing scripture fulfilled and prophecy fulfilled and i think even with um we've got the whole environmental push all of these things one thing impacts upon another and even more so when we're a global village yeah. rather than uh, what the, what the planet was 50 years ago yeah 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 and, and certainly you mentioned uh, daniel 12 there and you know i this 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 passage of course comes at the end of daniel's Final prophecy. This is a vision that is given to to Daniel, and uh, as he's wrapping it up, he's talking about the end times. What he says is, at that time, Michael will stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. He's actually talking about a time just before Jesus Christ comes again. And you know, some have, have wondered, hey, you know, uh, what sort of time could that this actually be talking about? And yet, from what I am, I am reading. In the newspaper, news media, from what I am reading in these reports, I'm starting to say, hey, there's something happening here that certainly a society has never witnessed before. That, that's true, Gary. The more connected we are, the more technologically dependent we are, the more vulnerable we come. The, the yeah. richer we become, the more vulnerable we come, I think, uh, when things go wrong. Yeah. And so what, what Daniel the prophet, God through Daniel, says here in Daniel chapter 12, uh, is really, really pertinent, such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. This yeah. is pointing right to the last days. Yeah. And if people don't believe we're living right at that time of the end, what will they believe? <laughs> what will they believe? Uh, tell me, David, do you think that, you know, I mean, in this part of the world where rather immune from recognizing the real significance of some of these things we're in a global village and yet we're isolated yeah we see so much on the media that yeah. we almost become uh, inoculated immunized against it yeah. and it's not until something like COVID-19 comes that sort of brings us back to reality and I don't know about you Gary but I know some of um, our older church members that have lived through the depression or mm. alternatively some members that I know of that came out of the second world war from Europe yeah and you listen to their stories of what they endured yeah they know what it's like and, and so 
there's a level of um, uh, I've been here before scenario. Yeah, I know. I've I was just very recently talking to some some folks who have just come from from Africa, and uh, they've certainly uh, experienced some things that certainly here in this country uh, we we wouldn't even dream of. So COVID nineteen has shown us that none of us are immune. No yeah. country is immune. No. Uh, no society is immune to this scourge and what may follow. Yeah, yeah. And the scriptures themselves actually give us a revelation and says, hey, look, when these things come along, don't be su- surprised, but rather be prepared. And to me, that is actually so. And, you know, the preparation is not so much preparation in, in view of having more a toilet paper in the garage, but rather it's a spiritual preparation that I think what Scripture actually refers to here. Yeah, so when we see these events occurring through Scripture, sorry, through, through, through society, yeah. and then we build our relationship with Jesus, um, Jesus through Luke tells us to lift up our heads, doesn't he? Mm. Because our, when we see, we see these things happening, because our redemption is drawing near. Yeah. So we can live with peace, we can live with certainty, mm. we can live with hope and assurance in a world that provides little if none. And, and isn't that uh, the, uh, a beautiful summation of where the scriptures actually take us to? It's beautiful. It is. Let's come to some music. This is Michael Card, El Shaddai. El Shaddai El Shaddai, El Elyonah Adonai Age to age you're still the same By the power of the name El Shaddai, El Shaddai Erechimkana Adonai We will praise and lift you high El Shaddai Through your love and through the ram You saved the son of Abraham And by the power of your hand Turned the sea into dry land To the outcast on her knees You were the God who really sees And by your might You set your children free El Shaddai El Shaddai El Elyonah Adonai Age to age You're still the same Lift you high 
time of Christ was near Though the people failed to see What Messiah ought to be Though your word contained the plan They just could not understand That your most awesome work was done Through the frailty of your son El Shaddai, El Shaddai El Elyonah Adonai Age to age you're still the same By the power of Michael Card, El Shaddai. I love uh, playing that song when I'm driving along in the uh, in the car. It's such a worshipful uh, song. Our free gift for you today is the book Advent. Advent's been written by uh, Nathan Brown. Uh, Nathan is the uh, publishing editor at Science Publishing Company. And uh, the subtitle of this book is Hearing the Good News in the Story of Jesus' Birth. Christmas is coming up. And so often we overlook the real meaning of Christmas. Uh, Nathan's written written this book. It's uh, got uh, 31 small chapters in it, no more than three or four pages each, uh, each chapter. But each chapter is designed to be read just one each day in the days leading up to Christmas. This book makes a wonderful gift or if you want to share with your family at family worship. This is the sort of book that you'd be able to share and really encourage people to come to understand what Christmas is all about. We're giving away a free copy of Advent uh, today. Uh, all you've got to do is is text us here at the studio. The number's 0438 066635. That's 0438 066635. Just give us your name. Write Advent, the name of the book, uh, your name and your address, and we'll flick this out to you as soon as this pandemic is over. Um, no, very, very soon. Uh, we'll we'll have this uh, directly to you. Uh, we'd l- I believe you'd really enjoy 
this uh, this particular book. Uh, you're listening to, uh, to Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Uh, today our co-host is David Butcher, and David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Australia. And this week we're following the theme, Religion and Violence. And the question we're asking is, was the God of the Old Testament a violent monster? That's today's question. It was uh, a number of years ago. It was uh, the very first time I'd ever preached on this particular subject. I uh, I spent just a, a little bit longer than might be normal as we shared as we as we spoke together. Immediately after the the service, a mother came up uh, to me and she was in tears. In fact, she was almost distraught. Uh, and uh, she said, uh, "Pastor," uh, she said, "Thank you so much for what uh, you shared today." She said, "But oh, I wish that I wish the church would deal with this years ago." And as we started to talk, we we started to share. Uh, she started to share a story with me. Uh, she said her son had gone along to university. He was wet behind the ears. He wasn't uh, quite established in the, in the Christian faith. And yet on the very first few months that he was there, he was challenged uh, by one of the groups on the university campus and the challenge went along this line. If God is a loving God, why does he see the, the murder, the killing, the, the infant side of so many in the Old Testament? Is the God of the Old Testament really good? He, he, he commands death. He de- commands destruction. He commands people be obliterated. And we call him a good God. Do you know, as I, as I shared, as we shared together, I was just, I was just so conscious that that lady was distraught because of the impact that it had had on her son. But you know, I'm so conscious also that the question is actually very real. There are so many who aren't sure how to answer that question. The God of the Old Testament, was he really a good God? Or was there something that is hidden in his character that we're not being told? David, help us out on this one. What's your, what's your thinking? The, how good was the God of the Old Testament? This is a tough topic, isn't it, Gary? Particularly with its title, Is the God of the Old Testament a Merciless Monster? And so many people that have read the Old Testament, or many people, have read numerous passages and have determined if that is God and if he's supposed to be a God of love, mm. I want nothing to do with it. Yeah. Now, we believe that all scriptures are inspired and is profitable for our use. So we believe in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Yeah. In fact, we wouldn't see God's love in the New Testament if we didn't see the God of the Old Testament. However, that doesn't take away the challenge that certainly does exist and that some atheists have uh, have put forward. Uh, Gary, let me share with you a quote from uh, Richard Dawkins, The God Delusion, who is a militant atheist. And in the book God Delusion, this is what he says. It's a scathing rendition of God in Uh his book, Uh The God of the Old Testament. He says, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, 
a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic... <laughs> They're big words, aren't they? Big one. Where did he get them from? Sadomachistic, capriciously malevolent bully. I got through it. That, that That is a remarkable statement. I mean, this is... Uh, Dawkins, of course, is... Well, was. He, 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 he is... Um, uh, he's certainly not uh, able to uh, to speak very much uh, any uh, anymore. But um, the... Um, this doesn't give us a good picture of God, does it? It doesn't. It I mean, doesn't. you wouldn't like this a referee saying this about you, would you, when you go for a job? Well, it's... Uh, Atheist uh, te- um, uh, Charles Temp- Templeton actually makes a very similar statement. He he says the God of the Old Testament is utterly unlike the God believed in by most practicing Christians. His justice is, by modern standards, outrageous. He is biased, vindictive, and jealous of his prerogatives. And Gary, they're challenging questions, but I believe we'll be able to. We'll be able to pull that apart yeah, and yeah. show that that's not actually the case. Yeah. Now, I don't know how many verses, I guess I could look it up, how many verses exist in the entire Old Testament. We've got 39 books. We've got so many chapters. But I actually wonder how many verses in the Old Testament in reality um, actually would come into question, come into play here. I don't think it would be too many. Not no, at all. No, no, no. There's, why don't you go through a couple of the verses that are often thrown at, at individuals, at Christian people, maybe on the university campus, and to tell us what, you know, what is the complaint? So some of them, and let's touch on some, we won't be able to go through all. One of them, for instance, is the Genesis flood. Mm-hmm. Um, God uh, said in Genesis 6.17, Behold, I, God, even I am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. So this is a God that is supposedly we believe, and I do believe, but people say is meant to be a loving God. And yet how could he destroy man, woman and child in a massive flood? An animal. Why could he do that? And I guess we get uh, some answers in Scripture. Um, in Genesis chapter 6 again, uh, verse 7, we read, The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. So clearly, we're well into earth's history, generation after generation, and there is this repetition of evil that has occurred and wickedness in the earth. But this wickedness was pervasive. Um, it's interesting in Genesis 6 verse 5, we get something very very clear here. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Mm-hmm. So we have a picture here from Scripture of not just a God who has a bad hair day, so to speak, and will act and will just click his fingers and wipe out all of humanity. God has seen a pattern and a picture of wickedness and wickedness continually. In fact, every thought of his heart is evil and evil continually. Mm-hmm. We also get the picture with the story of the flood in Second Peter 2.5 where Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Mm-hmm. Now, why would Noah, who was the boat builder as well, why would Noah even preach And why would he be a preacher of righteousness Mm. if God did not have a way of escape for his people? 
Because what we actually find is in the story of Noah, of course, what you have is Noah is told to actually build an ark. It takes him something like 120 years to actually build the ark. Uh, Peter actually calls him a preacher of righteousness. So what he's actually doing is he's not just uh, building an ark. He seems to be also preaching. Now, what does he actually preach? You know, to me, I see him preaching uh, words of uh, repentance from uh, those things that these people have become involved in. Absolutely, and saying, hey, this is your way of escape. I'm building this boat uh, as as a ark of salvation, if you like. This is your escape route, but you need to repent. You need to recognize your evil. Okay. So God didn't just click his fingers and wipe out humanity. In fact, um, even in Peter's writings in the New Testament, in the books of Peter, he makes mention that at the second coming, um, there'll be people, just like in the days of Noah, mm. that were scoffers saying, where is his coming that you talk yeah. about? Yeah. So clearly part of uh, Noah's preaching was to warn of soon destruction because of the wickedness of humanity. Yeah. Therefore, turn from your wicked ways. Yeah. So th- th- you get this calling of people uh, to return to the God of heaven. So if God is a God of love, uh, no parent will wipe out their child or kill their child. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They certainly. Well, let's let's wind that back a bit. A loving parent will not punish a child without the child being first forewarned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yeah. So, uh, but we've still got the problem here of God killing because God does kill. I mean, no earthly parent, even if their child is uh, really rebels big time, will actually kill their children. That that's true. So we are. Posed with a problem, and I think there are other stories. Yeah, let's go. We're, we're going to come back to this, but let's yep. go to another story. Yep, yep. So, yeah, I think the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, this one is also used by atheists. Um, we have the story of Abram and Lot, mm-hmm. and it's interesting in Genesis 19, verses 24 and 25, it says this it was a supernatural act of destruction by God. It says, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. So this is a God that we can read these verses and think he just capriciously just decided he would destroy the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. But that's in fact not the whole story, is it? It's certainly not the whole story. It's it's interesting to note that um, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah occurs in Genesis 19. Mm-hmm. But when we first come across the story of Sodom with Abraham and Lot, it's in Genesis 13. And in Genesis 13, Abram and Lot have been blessed, their flocks and their herds. Uh, Lot is uh, Abram's nephew. Their flocks and their herds have increased. There is no room enough for the two of them to be together and their families and all their servants. I mean, Abraham had at least 300 servants, we'll find. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they decide to part ways and they look at the land around them and Abraham says to Lot, where where do you want to be? Mm -hmm. Where do you want to be? And Lot chooses the land of the plains near Sodom and Gomorrah. And he chose it because it says it was like the Garden of Eden. It was a beautiful place, uh, which tells us that in spite of the wickedness of the city, because the wickedness of the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah was not new, Yet God still had blessed this area with fertile land and and beautiful soils. 
in Genesis chapter 13, verse 13, it says, But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Mm. What we need to remember, too, is all sin is ultimately first and foremost against God. I think too, when we actually read that you know all all flesh was sinful, sometimes we gloss over that because to us a sin is hey that's uh, uh, maybe fornicating with somebody's wife. Mm-hmm. But you know what these guys are actually doing in the Old Testament is actually far worse than that, isn't it? It is it, absolutely. What are they into? Just I mean, this is important. I think we understand the context of what's actually going on here. So uh, with the Canaanite culture, for example, Gary, um, there's some pretty amazing, uh, tragic, I should say, things that occurred. The Bible depicts truly horrific aspects of Canaanite culture. Uh, These include perversion such as incest, sacred prostitution, which clearly wasn't sacred, bestiality. The unthinkable act of child sacrifice, you get that in Leviticus 18, 1 to 30, 19, 29, Leviticus 20, verses uh, 21 to 24, etc. So we get some incredibly horrible pictures of... You know, that, that last one that you mentioned to me is, is frightening in the extreme. Because, you know, so many of these nations, some of these Old Testament nations had actually got into the practice of sacrificing their own children... To their deities, to to appease their God, to appease their God, that they would actually burn them alive and play music in order to drown out the cries of the children while they burn to death. You know, David. To me, I look at this and I say, "Hey, this is horrendous." So, uh, if you stuff. had opportunity and power to intervene, would you? Would you? Or should you? Of course, you should, right? Exactly, and so, you know. This is, this is actually so important, what, what you've actually just said there, because what, see, God is almost in a no-win situation in so many of the Old Testament uh, stories. You see, in many ways, God can't win. If he acts against people who are involved in human sacrifice, he's seen as being merciless. But if he does not act, people say, why didn't God act to stop such an horrendous crime if he is God? So God can't win if he does, and he can't win if he doesn't. So we need to understand what was actually going on, the context. And I want to read something to you, Gary, that I came across from a famous archaeologist from the Bible lands, W.F. Albright. And this oh, is he's on, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is giving us some insights of Aneth, the Canaanite goddess of sex and war. Yeah. So a lot of these things are occurring in the land of Canaan. So listen to this. The blood was so deep that she waded in it up to her knees, nay, up to her neck. Under her feet were human heads. Above her, human hands flew like locusts. In her sensuous delight, she decorated herself with suspended heads while she attached hands to her girdle. This is a picture of a Canaanite god. Her joy at the butchery is described in even more sadistic language. Her liver swelled with laughter. Her heart was full of joy. So this is a picture of what we get from the Canaanite God. This was the God that the people, that um, the land that the Israelites went into, this is one of the gods they worshipped. This is from Albright, professor of archaeology, and what he's actually digging here is a material that is coming out, coming to light. From through the, the culture of the day. From the culture of the day. You know, I mean, 
David, as as we look at this, this is this is really horrendous stuff. You know, I, I'm so conscious. Just just very recently, we had uh, um, we had certainly a um, uh, the Islamic group uh, that that was involved with some horrendous crimes. Uh, over in the in the Middle East, and right around the world, there was a cry that we need to send in troops to stop uh, these beheadings that are actually happening. How can we sit back and do nothing? How can we sit back? They were beheading enemies. Now, I'm not trying to justify them, but you know, here we actually have in the Old Testament a nation who weren't just beheading enemies, but they were prepared to sacrifice their own children uh, in the, the fires of Baal. Absolutely, and, and this language we've just read of, of this Hebrew goddess, of blood everywhere, of human heads, and, and the pleasure that this god got out of it. Now, Gary, we live in a fairly sanitized culture. We do, we do. Uh, I remember in 2011, I had the opportunity to travel through Europe, mm. and uh, I went to the Dachau concentration camp. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't get to see everything. I was only there for a short time. I didn't get to see the gas chambers. Yeah. But I went through uh, other parts of the entire complex. Yeah, and huge. to me, Gary... Um, to me, in the short time I had there, it seemed very clinical and a sanitized place. Yeah. Now, I know it wasn't. Yeah. Clearly it wasn't. Thousands of people would That's have died That's certainly how it's presented now. But it was quite sanitized in what I saw. Not seeing the gas chambers, I didn't yeah. get to them, yeah. but it was almost sanitized. Now, sometimes when we uh, – and clearly it wasn't, right? But yeah. that's that's the picture I took when I went through and just reading these things. Everything was clean. Everything was all good, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. When we read the Old Testament and we read some of these stories – we we almost get a sanitized picture of the culture of the day, and that's so true. In fact, you know, David, there's a there's a book that sometimes when I when I'm actually preaching on this particular subject, I uh, I'm a little bit cheeky occasionally, and uh, I I pull out the horrible histories mm. books. Now, um, these are books that are written for primary school students, and of course, I've got I've got one here right now talking about the vile Victorians, and uh, not you, our, not our compatriots uh, in the state. I hope no 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 sorry. Certainly not those Victorians. No, no. And then there's another one here: the terrifying Tudors. They're meant. They're written for primary school students. They're actually history for primary school students. In many ways, they're they're actually quite. Uh, there's a bit of humour in there. Uh, they're sanitised. Mm. Uh, am I happy for my children to read them? Well, yeah, I suppose that you know. Um, it, it. But you know, the thing which is ignored in the book is a thing in the books are actually a thing called context. Because in talking about the terrifying Tudors, it's certainly beheadings are mentioned, but the, the gore and the reasons why are actually totally ignored. Do you know, I suggest to you that in the Old Testament, what we actually have when people like Richard Dawkins actually share and say that this is a horrible God, what he's actually doing is overlooking the context as to why God actually decided to act. Uh, he just actually decided to act because what we actually have there are nations that were doing far worse than what uh, any of the uh, beheadings we've seen in recent times. Absolutely, Gary, and I would suggest that some of these people are either doing it ignorantly or they're doing it intentionally to skew a picture of God, yeah. which is really what Lucifer yeah. did in the beginning. Exactly, exactly. So, Gary, with the, um, with the Sodom and Gomorrah one, 
they were all destroyed, correct? But we need to remember that they were wicked for for a long period of time. Mm. We need to know that um, uh, the plains of Sodom were an exceedingly good place. God sends his his rain on the just and the unjust, Matthew 5, verse 45. We need to know that um, in Genesis 13 14, uh, Lot and his family and others were taken captive from Sodom. Abraham goes and rescues them and brings them back. So they were given time. Melchizedek comes out. There was worship of the God of heaven. And we can expect roughly about 25 years after that before Sodom was destroyed. And just before it was destroyed, mm. when the two angels came to stay with Lot, we know that the men of the city wanted to have sex with them. This was a perverted, disgusting culture of wickedness that had had much time to repent. Yeah. And the picture of God is even if there is 10 people, he would have spared the city. Yeah, and and to me, that's the beautiful thing. You know, if there's ten people here, yes, I'll spare the whole city for the sake of this. You Even start, the, the vile, wicked ones would be spared. Indeed, we actually start to get a little bit of a pattern that starts to develop with these judgment scenes that occur in the Old Testament. Now, look, we're going to have a little bit of a break. Then we're going to come back. Let's go to Michael Michael W. Smith, uh, Ancient Words, and then we'll come back to bring it all together.
That was Michael W. Smith. Ancient words. Uh, welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Today our co-host is David Butcher, and David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Australia. And this week we're following the theme, religion and violence. And the question we're asking, was the God of the Old Testament a violent monster? David, look, bring it together for us. We're starting to run out of time once again. What else does the, do you understand from, uh, uh, from the Old Testament? I think we see some patterns, Gary, to answer some of these accusations. We see some patterns of how God deals with people. And I guess the first one that I'd like to mention is that God declares an annihilation uh, form of judgment to stamp out the cancer. So you have to deal with the cancer before it actually ruins the whole person, if you like. And yeah. God's people were moving into a into a land with other nations, and if they were allowed to dwell there with that the cancer of wickedness and sin, if you like, it would have destroyed them as a race. Yeah, but and we'll, in fact, and this cancer, of course, is so horrendous that it's the type of activity that even today uh, we would rise up against uh, and speak and act against uh, because child sacrifice is something where God is prepared to stand up and say thus far and no further and at this point I need to speak. So if there was child sacrifice going on in the world today, would the nations of the world, it's all beamed in via the internet and television, yeah. would we sit back, our nations, or would we go in there and act? Yeah. We would and, act. And we, would, we would act, and that's exactly what happened when we saw the beheadings happening some time ago. And that's what God actually does here. Should God be any different? Should God be any different? So another one is, so you've got to stamp out the cancer, if you like. You've got to act with judgment to stop things getting yeah, worse. Yeah. Another one is the... Judgments are for public recognition of extreme sins. And we've talked about some of the extreme sins. They're horrendous yeah. public stuff um, that, that invaded the whole culture, if you like. Also, judgment is always preceded by warning and often by long periods of exposure to the truth and time to repent. We see that with the story of the flood. Mm. There was at least 120 years of uh, judgment being declared of what would happen and people having time to repent. We saw that with Sodom and Gomorrah. There were numerous instances of interactions uh, they had that they could have known what was right from what was wrong. Um, so we also get a picture here in the story of the Amalekites of this situation. This is a really interesting one because this is one that is often actually picked up and, uh, and thrown at, uh, at Christians on, on a university campus. It is. So the Amalekites were descendants of Esau. Yeah. Esau was the twin of Jacob. He knew what was right. He knew the, the true God. The Amalekites would have known something. But in Exodus seventeen eighteen, we get a picture of the Amalekites fighting their cousins, if you like, the Israelites. And... It was a dastardly act. If you were to read um, Deuteronomy twenty-five seventeen to nineteen, uh, Moses talks about this. He says, "Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God." So the Amalekites attacked the vulnerable Israelites, the vulnerable ones, the weak, the sick, the stragglers. Now, no one under the conventions of war if there is such a thing, but we, we play by supposedly conventions of war, would act like that. Exactly. exactly. And yet this is what the Amalekites did. The Amalekites, um, as we know, um, destroyed and killed their children. In Judges chapter 6, they came into the land of Israel and basically plundered their crops. And yet we have a God that didn't instantly act. 
we have a picture of God in Genesis um, chapter 15 where God is talking to Abram. Uh, this is before uh, his people go into Egypt and before they come into Canaan. Mm-hmm. It says in Genesis 15, verse 13, Then he said to Abram, Know certainly, this is God, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. This is talking about Egypt. And they will serve the Egyptians and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now verse 15 and 16, Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. In other words, Abram, you'll die in mm-hmm. peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Listen to this, Gary. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, uh, God is talking to Abram before his people go into Egypt. And he's mm-hmm. saying it's not yet time to destroy this nation for their wickedness because there is still 400 years for them to return to yeah. come back to me. Yeah. Yeah. And Their God, wickedness is not complete. God is giving a probation time. He's saying, I'm prepared to give him another 400 years, for what he called four generations at that particular time, because, hey, I want them to come back to me. Perhaps they might repent. Perhaps they might turn from their wicked ways. And I don't know about you, but as a parent, we don't have uh, capital punishment, okay, and even corporal punishment now. But I might give my children, I might say, you've got five minutes, so you've got 15 minutes. Mm. God gave 400 years. So that's another one there. Another one we have is that um, uh, basically – All of the innocent adults, so to speak innocent, uh, are given a way of escape for them and their families uh, to avoid um, judgment. They were given opportunity to repent. Uh, and, and, and that you find, for example, Noah and his three sons and their daughters, but he is given the commission to actually preach and to actually bring people back to the God of heaven to say, hey, look, these practices that you're getting involved in, these are horrendous, this is horrendous material. It is. And when people were expelled from a place, we have to mm. realize that was a fairly common act. They, they weren't necessarily exterminated first. They were expelled. And this is really the pattern we see in Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were, there was a judgment. Uh, they were expelled from the garden. But there was redemption even after the Garden of Eden. There, Jesus comes and meets with Adam and Eve and, and makes clothes for them and talks about the, the Lamb of God that would come. Mm. So we also see a picture of, um, in these stories in the Bible, someone is almost always saved or redeemed from their evil culture. The story of Jericho, which we didn't touch on, it was destroyed. Everything by the sword, and yet who survived? Who was rescued? It was was Rahab, of course. And her family. Mm. Anyone that chose to be in the salvation of her house, in the walls of her house, was saved. Why? Mm. Because in the story of Jericho, she talks about how they had heard the people of Jericho of the acts of the Israelite God. Mm. Now, if the people of Jericho had heard of the acts of the Israelite God, they had an opportunity to repent, and yet they didn't. Yeah, yeah. And yet ultimately, if people, after hearing the pleadings of God, if they react negatively, ultimately there is a, a judgment that does take place. Absolutely, and there has to be. Uh, love has to have an end point, if you like, where judgment occurs. Otherwise, people are, how can there be a God of love with all these atrocities going on? So we have to understand that these rules of engagement, which include a warning, a declaration period of a coming impending judgment, uh, God gives all of this time 
before he actually acts. Mm. And we serve a moral, loving creator. I guess I want to put it to and you. And, you know, David, that question is so important that, you know, if God did not act, then the question would be asked, why didn't he act? You know, all this horrendous stuff is going on. God knows about it, but he doesn't act. And if he doesn't act, the question is asked, why not? So from a human perspective, as you said, you're damned if you do and damned if, if you, you don't. A.W. Tozer actually proposes something. And really, the way we view God is really important. This is what he says. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Mm. So, Gary, if you see God as a horrible monster then you will never rise above that. And yet we get a different picture. I want to finish, Gary, with um, two thoughts. Revelation 13 tells us that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, Mm. a loving God, planned right at the beginning in the Old Testament, before the Old Testament was written. But I want to take you to Ezekiel chapter 33, one Mm. of my favorite texts. In the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. Buried in the middle of the Old Testament, God says, Say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Mm. That's 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 a powerful passage, isn't it? You know that personifies the character of God that is presented actually in the Old Testament and is actually shown in Jesus in the New Testament as well. The two are actually the, linked together. The two are unified. Indeed, indeed. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you now. We want to say thank you uh, for being a God who acts. Uh, Lord, thank you that you have called us to repentance. How many times? Lord, thank you for being the God who has protected, who has desired that people return to you. Lord, thank you for never giving up on us. But Lord, thank you also for standing up against in violence and, and, and horrific sin. Lord, I just pray that uh, you might be uh, with each of our listeners today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time is up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time. Big Q&A. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. Uh, Please enjoy, uh, Bethany Dillon, how deep the Father's love for us. Beyond all measure That he 
hands to 